Welcome to Tech Uncorked. I'm Dean Gratton. And I'm Sarah Jane Gratton. And together we explore a new world of technology and innovation. With lively discussion and some great interviews. With us today is Paul Nicholson. He's the Senior Director of Product Marketing at a So welcome, Paul. Pleasure to be here, Sarah. Welcome, Paul. Um, and as usual, we often start the show by asking more about uh, the company A10 and and your your specific role with the company. First of all, let's, let's talk about A10. So A10 provides a range of secure application services, which helps uh, large organizations and uh, enterprises to secure their environments. Uh, so we provide infrastructure services to help keep, uh, for example, the web servers we use every day up and running. Uh, we also provide protection for those environments, so we make sure that people can't bring down uh, the services which are running from, say, distributed denial of service attacks, which you know often make the headlines with websites being unavailable, and a number of other different services. And for A10, to answer the second part of the question, I uh, run product and technical marketing uh, and basically help organizations understand how our technology can be used to protect the networks and scale the networks that they have running. And I know that A10 have recently published a fantastic report, Enterprise Perspectives 2022, Zero Trust Cloud and Remote Work Drive Digital Resilience. It's so insightful. The work that you've done is is amazing and lifting the lid on what people really are concerned about in terms of cybercrime. So if you could just give us a brief overview of what the report's doing, that would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So what's interesting about this report, it doesn't just concentrate on, say, North America or the UK or uh, India or whatever. It actually covers 21 different countries and talks about the network infrastructure, security, and uh, how organizations are responding to various things which are happening, such as you know, COVID and cloud migration from an IT point of view. And we surveyed uh, over 2,000, wow. I think it was 2,425 uh, professionals out there to get their opinion. So we get a really good view of what's going on and also mm. some specifics about the specific countries as well because of the amount of people we surveyed in so many countries. And is the is the report generically available now? Oh, yeah, it's absolutely available uh, now from a10networks.com. Uh, so you can download it for free. And uh, there's also spotlight sections in there, like I said, for individual countries. So there's some local data as well, which should be useful. Look on the website, guys, and you'll be able to download the report from there directly. Paul, there was a rapid response in a shift to cloud from the industry during the pandemic. Do you think this strengthened the importance of digital resilience and a drive towards zero trust? So every application, every flow should be monitored and made sure it has the right level of access required to the person and no more. Because people understand the concept of zero trust. It's kind of baked into the name, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is It's. It is what it says on the tin, isn't it, really? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, in the pandemic, we all had to do things differently, right? So, um, you know, things like remote access, um, you know, obviously became important because a lot of people started working from home. So some organizations had to scramble to make sure they could do it at the volume needed to support all their employees. But there was also other things, for example, um, 
professionals have found it difficult to get into data centers to set mm-hmm. up these systems, which we rely yeah. on you know, yeah. for the internet. So the, that accelerated the move to software out there. And you know, in the survey, one of the things which is uh, interesting is you know, now that we're relying on these data centers where a lot of this software um, lives because people could connect to it remotely, set up these systems when they couldn't get physical access you know, during the pandemic, um, a lot of the respondents uh, in the survey um, felt uh, that the security offered by the, the, the service provider was 62, 62% of them said it was sufficient. However, only uh, 37% said they were satisfied with the service delivered. So we've got a little bit of um, a gap there between the you know the services offered and the satisfaction of the uh, IT organizations who are using them right now. So it's it's kind of an interesting you know uh, juxtaposition there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, yeah. Speaking of uh, the pandemic and of course working from home, I suppose that would have been a big concern for many companies and industry overall because to take that shift from what's probably considered to be a secure environment at your work office, but then to replicate that environment at home would have been a nightmare, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, again, it comes down to that zero trust, doesn't it, right? I mean, and this goes to the same for the remote work, same for the online services we were just talking yeah. about. You know, just because you're do- you're working differently doesn't mean your security should get any weaker, right? Yeah, yeah. It should yeah. just be at the same level. Um, so, you know, trying to make sure that, uh, we, you know, have an eye on it is where zero trust really can come in because it can give that framework for people to be able to uh, say, okay, I need to apply zero trust. I need to look at this person's level of access, you know, their credentials, what, what they can go, you know, what they should be able to get access to. Yeah. You can look at the flows of the software coming in all the, all different types of checks, you know, which could go under zero trust. Yeah. Yeah. And how was that achieved? I mean, to actually give that confidence of that. So, I mean, so the context being, you know, you, you've got this employee now working from home because they have to work from home. How do you achieve that data security in that person's own home? How is that achieved? And, and does A10 have a role in that? Uh, so with A10, we don't normally um, interact with the, the client like a desktop application or anything yeah. like that. We, we're more uh, around looking at that um, piece when the uh, person or actually the end customer connects to the data center and we check that they have the the right permissions based on the policy so in that context what the good thing we can do about we can do with this because we're talking about these disparate environments before the pandemic for example uh, an organization might have had a data center and that's all people connected to uh, during the pandemic, they might have deployed services in the cloud because they couldn't get into their data center. Yeah, and I'm, I'm talking about global companies as well, where they might have 20 offices around the world, right, All with different COVID restrictions and things like that. So where we could help is, you know, we have our software can go into the cloud environments. But th- the best thing probably is that we have what we call a controller where we can push policies out, whether it's the same, and it can be the same policy which was on in the on-premise data center someone owned, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, we can push it to all the cloud environments, all the software environments, Mm. which have been rolled out during the pandemic. 
So it just gives a lot more flexibility in that peace of mind with the zero trust policies we're talking about. So it's quite infrastructure wide. I know from what of a better description, you probably know better there. So it's... It, well, actually, I think it was a great description, right? Pushing <laughs> the policy, you know, everywhere you need it to be. And it's yeah, same. it's that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, that. well, you, you can even go as far as... Because if you're talking about 20 sites, for example, and you cover those 20 sites in terms of data security, then I guess it, it becomes ecosystem wide. Because it, I mean, you've yeah. got many. Well, you've got multiple ecosystems so across many geography areas. So. I mean, ultimately, yeah, pe- and that's a great point because it's kind yeah. of like when you think about it, it's basically automating it. Imagine trying to go into those twenty sites manually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'd be a nightmare, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess for all of us, you know, in work at home, we want to go online. We want to know that what we type in, our data is secured. And it's just fascinating. One of the things that I actually found really interesting was how things varied around the globe, Paul. In the report, some countries thought this was fine and others said, no, 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 actually, we don't want to go here with it. Can you, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I mean, basically, when we, when we look at the global um, differences, there's multiple reasons why we could have, you know, um, different uh, types of response to different countries. Yeah, absolutely. In some countries are going to have um, you know, more advanced concerns based on the systems they've de- deployed. Others yeah. might be more um, in the nascent um, part of their journey. So, for example, that could be for adopting cloud technology. We know like in Europe and North America, adoption of cloud technology has been around and, and is in full swing. Uh, other potential regions might be uh, less prone to it because it's just less common, right? And maybe the infrastructure isn't as built out, built out in certain areas. Also, different types of crime can be um, at different levels in mm. different regions, and that mm. can also give um, different results out there as well. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, with your data security policies and software, and uh, do you have different levels of security? So uh, presumably, for example, like a government agency uh, well, and, and its agencies, of course, maybe require the highest level of security, whereas, say, Joe Bloggs down the road running his plumbing service. Well, I don't see why we shouldn't all get the same. Well, I know, but the, it'll all be done on pay. It'll be pay per security or pay do per... Do you think? I've got, well, I maybe, do, uh, Paul, I think maybe tell Paul, us. Yeah, Paul could tell well, us. I think, I think you're both right, because I think, uh, you know, Sarah, we definitely need the same level of security. But I think to Dean's point as well, the you know different people are going to pay for different levels of security. And also, a lot of it depends, and it's very much like insurance. And with insurance, you basically uh, make sure you protect what you can't afford to lose, right? Mm-hmm. So with security, you know, if you're you know running a you know um, a flower shop or something, it's probably it might not be as critical um, certain pieces of it versus like uh, say the U.S. Senate, uh, yeah. for example, where there's top secret classified material which does not exist in the flower shop. Right. So there's different data and different requirements based on the data. So, again, with zero trust, you define what that data is and then you basically put in the protections and make sure that only the right people have uh, access to that data. And if the data has stratification of levels, you make sure that only the right people can get into the, say, the top secret versus the, you know, the regular material. Right. It's like having a public website and having customer data. There's different requirements out there depending on what you're trying to protect. Sure. So, so for for business users listening in, um, 
how do you think best practices, how, how can this be built into a workplace infrastructure? Yeah, I think uh, when, when you're looking at uh, your environment, again, you look at your environment, you work out what you need to protect the most. Uh, but I think there's also some obvious threat vectors which can be blocked, which you know some people might not be aware of because they can't necessarily see the threats which are coming over mm. those threat vectors. So mm. to give you an example with that, uh, we have a solution that allows enterprises to look into encrypted traffic and also all their security devices to look into encrypted traffic. And why is that, why, why is that important? Well, we're looking at the report. We were saying that data loss and other things are some of the, um, the it, or is the top concern uh, for organizations in the survey. If that's the case, if you're a hacker, you're going to try and go over the private encrypted links to yeah. get the, the data and hide from the security devices. So if you're not decrypting your encrypted traffic uh, coming into your network, you've essentially got a blind spot uh, mm. that you know, basically hackers can come in try and take control of machines as an example, and then try and feed data back to the outside. Yeah. So you need to look at the environment, what you need to protect and look for those, do it, it's almost like a threat assessment. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Top level things you want to go after. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting you say you, you build all these tools to you know, defend your infrastructure. You build all these tools and you encrypt your data. But I'm really, I'm, I'm quite surprised to to learn from you how these cyber criminals, such a glorious word, these cyber criminals can still penetrate and break into these infrastructures when they're so secure. Do they have access to really good tools and software and machines to actually do this? Yeah, well, I th the, the interesting thing is the hacker only has to be right once, right? The defender's got yeah. to attack, got to defend against all the attacks. That's the, the classic saying out there, right? And, you know, sometimes with these uh, attacks which happen, you know, there might be one security person, but there might be a thousand attackers trying to get into networks. And those networks might not be targeted. They might just be scanning the internet, looking for a vulnerability. So mm. they might be looking for a known vulnerability on a you know, off-the-shelf off the shelf. Um, piece of you know, an appliance or a piece of software, and if you just if your machine responds in a certain way, you know uh, they're going to basically try and get into it with the known threat vector, which may, might have even been published to help prevent you know to help professionals prevent mm. um, them actually you know getting in because it shows how the vulnerability works. Yeah. I, I, so I guess sometimes it's not targeted; it's actually just. Uh, as opportunity-based. Yeah, opportunist. Uh, yeah, and with that in mind, I guess they're not sitting there typing different combinations. They're probably using uh, a lot of automated tools to do this. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this actually goes into the survey because we asked the, you know, the um, respondents you know, what was like the top technology uh, they would, uh, or key technologies which would have the most impact over the next 12 months. Yeah. And you know, the number one in there was actually automation. So, or I should say, uh, artificial intelligence, which to me is automation, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, basically with the attackers, I mean, it used to be like when these DDoS attacks, which brought down, you know, websites and gaming networks, they would just try one attack. Now they're trying multiple attacks and mm. they're baked into tools, which, you know, they can, you know, use DDoS for hire. They can um, just launch it from a desktop. You can even, you know, launch one from a phone. Yeah. where they're trying to bring Gosh. down networks. And it's all about 
automation, artificial intelligence, um, and you know, effectively the simplification of the attacks. Mm. You're cracky. There's always someone out there with too much time on their hands. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I just want to touch upon uh, back the um, so we talked about cloud, but cloud service providers or any kind of service provider really. And I know that uh, service level agreements are quite an important factor. So I mean, how how uh, do they actually meet? How do these uh, these service providers meet their service level agreements? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the, the interesting thing, because if you're a business out there, you're going to be relying on your service provider for internet access. Yeah. And you want to make sure that it's reliable, just like your tap water, you want to make sure it's reliable and clean, right? So yeah. you want to make sure you know, your connection is reliable and clean. So, you know, most of the respondents, like I mentioned earlier, 62% believe that the security offered by their C- CSP is sufficient. But we still have that issue where, um, you know, the uh, all respondents are thinking like 25% of the CSPs are meeting um, the, or 25% believe that the CSP is meeting the service level agreement in place. So there's a disconnect, you know, between what they they thinking they're getting the right service, but they're not necessarily getting what they expect. And partly this can come because of misunderstandings of service level agreements, or um, it can also uh, be because uh, the the service providers are just providing basic services and not providing advanced services. So there could be a myriad of reasons mm. why um, you know the organizations are not necessarily satisfied with their service provider. However, things are improving out there because organizations are taking steps to um, secure the connections. Yep. Yep. And then I think over time, we're going to um, move to a better understanding of what's called the shared responsibility model. Because even just because you use a service provider or a third party, doesn't mean that as the uh, enterprise uh, or organization, you don't have some responsibility for your security as well. So I mentioned about the service level agreements, and then I've realized, how do these service providers know what to meet? Who actually defines the service level agreements? So typically, the service provider issues a contract out there. But you know, as a lot with a lot of things in life, uh, we know that they're driven by customer demand right, and customer opinion. So, you know, I think organizations now are demanding more of their service providers. And to be honest, it's becoming a bit of a competitive advantage. Because if you look at these survey results where you see people aren't totally happy with the services, you can imagine that some of these organizations are going to go to different service providers uh, who do satisfy them uh, with the security levels or maybe it's uh, services that they offer on top. So I assume it's not a service level agreement, one size fits all. I guess, given, as you said, the customer, I guess it's an exchange between the customer and the client, and they exchange about the level of requirements needed in the agreement. Is that a mutual uh, formulation to come up with the their perfect service agreement, or is it a one-size-fits-all? I, I think on the you know the smaller organization, like if we go back to the flower shop example, yeah. right? Um, you know that's you know that is, it probably doesn't need to be too customized uh, because it could fit a general uh, enterprise or you know kind of service level agreement. But if you're uh, a gaming company, for example, you're going to get DDoS attacks a lot yeah, more. It's a lot more intricate. People yeah. are going to get mad at you uh, for mm. winning a game and try and launch a DDoS attack against you as a player. So and boot you off a game, right? So. 
Um, you're going to have different types of attacks and you know, pro probably different uh, specialized offerings from service providers for different types of companies. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're coming really to the big question now, Paul. How can we guide innovation to ensure future cybersecurity? Well, cyber safety, really. Cyber safety. Yeah, the, going back to the survey, I mentioned briefly about you know, some of the key concerns out there. And I think new technology is a you know, something which can be very useful, but something we always have to be uh, mindful of as well, right? So, you know, automation and artificial intelligence, I think, are big, uh, going to be big drivers of security, mm -hmm. but they also could be big drivers of hackers, right, as yeah. well, where they use these type, same type of techniques to automate attacks uh, and weaponize things a lot more quickly. So I think um, you know, there's a potential that when we look at these zero trust security policies we're putting in place, that we look at things like artificial intelligence. And we also look at other technologies out there. For example, in the survey, uh, artificial intelligence came number one as the top technology which could be have the biggest potential in the next year. We saw the metaverse come in at number two, which was a bit of a surprise for me. Wow. And that could be something which you know uh, could be used by organizations in the future uh, mm. as well yeah that's really interesting so actually yeah so as i'm just curious about the metaverse how does the metaverse play in the cybersecurity space yeah what's interesting here right it's still early days for the metaverse exactly right? so, yeah yeah so um you know we might question what's people's definition of metaverse when they ask the question is it you know virtual meetings is it digital twinning um, is it customer engagement and training through virtual environments? Uh, I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure what you think on the metaverse. For me, I, I think you're right. It's early days and it's, it's to be defined. Um, and for me, it's, I mean, Google Street View, for example, for me is a metaverse. When I play Doom Eternal, um, <laughs> that's the metaverse. I, I think though, I think yeah. you could build advertisements into the street view, definitely. Oh yeah, and and also likewise, yeah. likewise with artificial intelligence. I also think that's in its infancy. Now you touched upon a good thing there earlier in the conversation: artificial intelligence, well, automation, um, and it's just clever programming and and smart technology. That's all artificial intelligence is. Um, as Sarah said uh, in, in our book, artificial intelligence is assistive technology. Um, it's not the doom and gloom, iRobots or Terminators. We're nowhere near that. I mean, a long, long, long way. And with machine learning and deep learning, yes, you can train your data, understand better things with data. You've got a good engineer developing software, automated software to actually hack on an automated basis. I think that engineer is putting his skills at, uh, to waste. Uh, I, uh, that's the thing. That's a double-edged sword, isn't it? it because is, yeah. you can look both sides. You can use AI to protect an AI to attack. Yeah. It's coming from both sides. And yeah, possibly, Paul, another whole episode on this because it's <laughs> there's so much to talk about here. Um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of potential uh, for it. It just depends on what everyone... It, does everyone have the same definition or not yeah, at this point? Right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think we're all coming from different perspectives to a certain degree at the moment as to what... Certainly what the metaverse is and how it can be used. For some people, they say it's a gaming environment a commercial gaming environment, I've been told. Um, for others, it's a platform for experimentation and what-ifs. Uh, yeah, um, I like your definition that the metaverse, you could also liken it to a digital twin. Yeah, 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 yeah you know, a, I like that. A, a virtual representation of a physical asset yeah. in software. 
And which does exist. Yeah. You've got network function virtualization. Yeah. 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 It was also above, you know, the popular ones like blockchain and IoT and things of that nature as well. well that's interesting. It was right on par with IoT, yeah. I should say, but yeah. it was above blockchain, which you know, yeah. the press that got. So, yeah. a, you know, there's a lot of uh, interesting things. There really is. Paul, you have been the most amazing guest. We've learned so much. Thank you for sharing all your insights with us and with our listeners. And we hope to have you back again. Great. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so Paul. much. This episode of Tech Uncorked was proudly sponsored by A10 Networks. And you can download their new report, Enterprise Perspectives 2022 Zero Trust Cloud and Remote Work Drive Digital Resilience on the Tech Uncorked website.